0: Well thank you, uh Mark, and thank you, choir, for leading us in worship. Uh that was incredible. Um <clears throat> it's good to see everybody here this morning. Um I love the holiday times. It's great to just kind of uh, uh see some old faces. Uh so it's good to see Hunter Johnson's back from uh North Carolina. Uh, Apparently Hunter even drove through the night to be here, man. So Hunter's good to see you. Gary Medlock, I see you back there, buddy. Don't be hiding from us, all right? Uh, man, it is awesome just to be here with everybody. Uh, so obviously Pastor Brian's not here. He is taking some uh, time now. Um, you know, let's be honest. He's not up to see Will and Bethany. He's up there to see Harper, right? Uh, so him and Bonnie are up there. But it is a joy to be with you uh, this morning. And uh, just this morning, just to recap, whether you have been with us or you're just joining us now for the uh, the first time, uh, we have been working through uh, just the different themes of Advent. And this year, uh, Pastor Brian's done something different, and uh, he wanted to kind of tie those and correlate those with the, some of the miracles that are in the Gospel of John. Uh, so, for example, we've talked about how Jesus is our hope, and we talked about how Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. Um, then the, the following one was how Jesus is our peace, and where Jesus came to his disciples and walked on water. And then last week, again, talking about how Jesus uh, is where we find true joy. And we looked at the miracle of where he turned water uh, into wine. And then this week, uh, we are uh, on the theme of love. And we are going to be in John chapter 4. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 46... Through fifty four, okay, uh, and here we're going to see a miracle where Jesus is going to heal a royal official's son. And so, this morning, uh, uh, I brought something from the house. I wanted to kind of show you guys, just because as you think about love and just kind of understanding love a little better, and even to kind of look at this, um, this miracle that J- Jesus is going to do. We're going to see just a very clear picture. Uh, of a father's love. And so uh, in my closet, uh, I'll go through there periodically and just kind of, you know, pull out some of the shirts that I've really worn out uh, or have grown out from. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so anyhow, uh, but there's always one shirt that I leave in my closet um, and it stays there. And every now and then I'll pull it out and anyhow, but it's this yellow shirt right here. And the reason why this shirt is so special is because this is the shirt that I just happened to be wearing uh, the night that my oldest, Madison, was born, uh, June 30th, 2006. And so uh, I actually brought a picture. I want you guys to see that. Yes, that is me. Okay, that is me. Uh, I, I was showing this picture, and uh, uh, one of my kids, I think it was Maya, was like, Dad, who's that? I'm like, it's me. It's me. It's, it, you know, it's... Not as much gray hair, you know, uh, you know, definitely a little darker and everything like that. But no, I hold on to this shirt because it does remind me of obviously just how special it is uh, to be a father. But, you know, one thing that God has taught me uh, since now having the privilege of being the father to four children is just have a better understanding of his love and a better understanding of a father's love, of our heavenly father's love for us. Uh, We talk about God's unconditional love or God's sacrificial love. When you become a parent, um, you you understand that, I think, sometimes a little bit more. And so today, as we look at this text, the goal for today, as we leave here and kind of journey through this passage of Scripture together, our goal is to see an example of a father's love, but then also to respond to that. We're going to see an example of an earthly father's love, But the ultimate underlying current that is raging is an example of our Heavenly Father's love. So um, I look forward to going through this with you. Before we read our text, I just want to kind of give you some context of, of, of where we're at. And so uh, in John chapter 4, a lot happens, okay? It's pretty long, pretty lengthy, and we're at the very end of it. Um, and so it's important to kind of understand what happens. And so when you look in John chapter 4 and verses uh, 3 and 4, uh, it, it talks about, it says, He, Jesus, left Judea and went again to Galilee. And he had to travel through Samaria. So if you were with us last week, Jesus was in Galilee, and he was in a city called Cana. And this is where he turned the water into wine at at the wedding, right? Well, since then, he leaves, and he travels down to Jerusalem, and he comes back. And on his way back, he makes a stop in Samaria. And it's there we have the very famous story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, and God does an incredible work in her life and her town. And so Jesus stays there for two days. And now he is arriving back into Cana. And it's very important to know that this area of Galilee where Jesus was, uh, this was his home region, okay? Um, and this is where he grew up. And so uh, as he arrives back, again, his reputation is growing. Uh, people are knowing more about Jesus, obviously because of his miracles, but from his words as well, what his teachings, and then even his followers, the people that are beginning to follow him. So he's gaining some traction uh, that's there, and so we come as Jesus comes back into Galilee, and this is where we're going to pick up, and I want to read to you guys verses 46 through 54. So let's look at God's word together. It says, and when he went up again to Cana of Galilee, Where he had turned the water into wine, there was a certain royal official whose son was ill in in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him, come down and heal his son, since he was about to die. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Verse 50. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. While he was still going down, his servants met him saying that his boy was alive. And he asked them at what time he had got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they said. Listen to verse 53. The father realized that this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him. Your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Verse 54, now this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. So as we look at this text, we're going to journey through it together. And again, our goal today is to see a picture, an example of a father's love, but then also we, we don't just want to see that. We want to interact. We want to respond to that, uh, today. And it's important to understand also, not just the context of what's going on in John 4, but it's important to understand the setting uh, of this story, the setting of this passage. And so in verse 46, um, again, I want to make sure you guys keep your Bibles open because we're going to be referring back to the text. There's going to be some key words I want you to look at. But in verse 46, we're introduced to the three main characters uh, of this passage. And so in verse 46, it says, And he went again to Cana of Galilee, that the he is referring to Jesus, And then you read and it says that there was a certain royal official. And so this royal official, uh, some of your translations might call him a nobleman, uh, that might be a government official, right? We know that this person had, was in some sort of royal capacity. Uh, some of the historians, some of the theologians think that he could have been, uh, and served underneath, uh, Herod, uh, Antipas. And so we see that this man had authority. He had influence and he had a significant amounts of authority because of his position. So that's the second character. The third character is that of the son. And we look in verse 46, we see that the son is ill. So it's important to understand the three characters that we're about to journey with together here in our time. Uh, But it's not just important to know these characters. It's also important to know some of the locations that are mentioned, uh, even here that are just in verse 46. There are two locations that are mentioned, And both of these cities are in the region of Galilee, but the first city is that of Cana, and the second one is Capernaum. Now remember, according to the text, it's in Capernaum where the royal official lives, and this is where the son is ill, and the son is sick. And so in fact, we've got a map, I want you guys to see this, I think just visually it helps to kind of understand this a little better. Yep, there we go, awesome. And so if you look at the lake right in the middle, that is the Sea of Galilee. And if you look on the north side of that, you'll see Capernaum. And if you come a little south, you'll see the city of Canaan. Does everybody see that up there? I want to make sure you guys are all tracking with that. The distance between these cities, and it's important to know this, is about 20 miles, give or take a few. There's some debate about the actual historical location of of Cana. Uh, that's why there, if you'll read some commentaries, there's some, some say it was about 18, 15, 20, anyhow, in that range. So I got thinking, okay, what's, what city is about 20 miles from here? Well, if we were all to, uh, have a little group project and, uh, we were to walk out to Highway 90 and hang it right and begin to head east, what is the next major metropolis? What's the next major city we're going to hit? Anybody know? Monticello. I said major. I shouldn't say major city. Next city we're going to hit? Yeah, Monticello, right? You'll come right there to the roundabout, the courthouse and everything in Monticello. Um, Monticello is about 18, 20 miles away from here. Um, takes about six hours to walk that. Now drive that. We're there in 20, 30 minutes, depending on how fast, how slow you drive, right? No big deal. But to walk that, take about six hours. I didn't believe it. So on Google Maps, right, you can do this, where you select your destination, and you don't have to just hit car. You can select bicycle, or you can even select walking. I I chose walking. Sure enough, six hours. I was like, okay, Google's right, we're good. Um, And so anyhow, we know that this journey from Capernaum to Cana was about a six-hour journey. And that's, you know, again, they probably had way more terrain than what we have. So we know at least it was six hours. It's very important to understand these things of the main characters and also these locations. And so the first thing I want to look at is I want to just look at a father's love for a sick son. A father's love for a sick son. And so again, in verse 46, we're introduced to Jesus. We're introduced to the royal official. But again, we are introduced to this son who is ill at Capernaum. When you read the word ill, you think, okay, what does he have? We read down later on, we know that, that he was on the verge of death. Okay, that's why we're going to see this world official is even willing to, to leave his son there and to travel to Cana. And so we know that he's not just got a mild sickness, but we know that it's actually very severe. Um, later on, it mentions that it was a fever, Right? And so anyhow, but if you think about this son's condition and not just that, but you think about the father's position as a royal official, because of the father's position, he probably had access to some of the best care around, not just in Capernaum, but around in Galilee and maybe even a little further. He probably even had, because of his position, he probably had the means, the financial means to try to find healing, but yet his son is still ill. And his son is still sick, so sick that this royal official, this father, is willing to leave his son and to try to go find help and see Jesus. And as I think about this son's condition, you remember I told you as we kind of journey through this passage, we're going to look at the story and and see from the physical side, but we're also going to look at the the, the spiritual side as well. As I think about this son, we have to ask ourselves the question and kind of see if, if we can relate to him in any way. Meaning this, do you know your condition right now? When I say condition, I'm not talking about physically. Where are you spiritually? Where are you in your relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with God? As we start this out as a picture of a father's love, I want us to look and think about our condition. You see, one thing we have to realize is that we can relate with this son that's in Capernaum that's ill spiritually because we all have a condition that leaves us ill and it leaves us helpless and it needs, leads us in need of healing, and that is because of sin. Romans 5 verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, in, in this way death spread to all people. Why? Because all sinned. Every single one of us are plagued with this disease. And sin is not just something that affects us physically. Sin is not just something that affects us relationally. Sin is something that affects us spiritually. Why? Because of it, we are separated from God. But like in this passage, we're going to see that we have a loving Heavenly Father that is willing to help us cure that. But I want us to make sure we understand our condition and understand the condition that this son was in. The next thing I want us to see as we kind of go through and let's get into verse 47. So again, keep your Bibles open, keep your tablets open, wherever you're at. Because there's, like I said, there's some words I want you to see. The next thing I want you to see is a father's love leads to radical action. A father's love leads to radical action. Verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded. It says, with him to come down and to heal his son since he was about to die. So a couple things that's really important I want us to see. First thing I just want to see is it says that he went to him. The royal official went to Jesus. Again, royal official lives at Capernaum, six hours away. And so he's willing to leave his son there, And so as he leaves and goes to Cana, he's willing to, again, potentially not be there for his son in his greatest hour of need and even potentially miss maybe the passing of his son. This is how desperate he is. This is how radical his action is. But not just that. It's interesting that it says that the royal royal official went to Jesus. Again, the royal official was probably used to people coming to him. But the fact that he was willing to humble himself, and not just travel, but to go to Jesus. And you remember what I said, where they're at, the region is Galilee. The city that is right beneath Cana was a city called Nazareth. And that's where Jesus grew up. So this royal official was willing to go to Jesus, who is the son of a Jewish carpenter. So this is huge. What he's doing here is massive. Why? Because he's desperate. And so he takes radical action. And it doesn't just say that he went to him. It says that he pleaded. Maybe some of your translations say that he implored or even begged. What this actually means is that this royal official did not just ask Jesus, Hey, I need you to, I need you to come down to heal my son. No. He begged. And it actually the weight of it is he continued. It was a continual asking. It was a continual request. And so again, just look at the, the, the barriers that are here. Is that this royal official goes and he doesn't just ask Jesus. He begs Jesus to come to him. This royal official was willing to cross economic and, and cultural barriers. Why? Because he was that desperate for his son to be healed. And so he takes radical action. And so in this, we're going to see a request that he makes. In verse 47, at the very end of it, what is his request? The official's request is for Jesus to come down and to heal his son. So do you all see how desperate he is? He's asking Jesus to, to, to travel six hours, right? To walk six hours to heal his son. This also shows us that this son was so sick that he couldn't make the journey from Capernaum to Cana. That's how sick he was, Right? Uh, and so, he makes this request. Now, as he makes this request, he obviously understands that there is something special about Jesus, but what we're going to see is he really doesn't fully understand who Jesus is, and understand that he is the Son of God, and understand that he is the Messiah. Why? Because if he understood who Jesus was, his request would have been, hey, Jesus, can you just speak the word and heal my son? You see, this story kind of gets confused with another story that we see in the Gospels where there was a Roman centurion that sends a servant uh, to Jesus and that eventually has a conversation with Jesus and says, hey, uh, I've got a a servant back home. I understand how authority works because I'm in the authority. And Jesus, I know that you're a person of authority. If you just speak the word, I know my servant will be healed. It's a different story, right? So this royal official is asking for Jesus to come to him. And so uh, what we see here is that this royal official uh, puts some limits on Jesus and who he is. And those limits were because of location, but ultimately those limits were because of his belief and his understanding of who Jesus is. And I think sometimes we do that as well, where we put limits on God. Luke chapter 1 verse 37 is a verse that we'll read, especially around the Christmas time, because Luke 1.37 is an angel's response to Mary. As the angel delivers the message that, hey, you're going to have a child. You're going to birth the Son of God into this world. And she's like, impossible, not going to happen. Angel says in Luke 1.37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Can I remind you today that we serve a God, we worship a God, that is not just a religious deity, but a God that is so powerful, a God that spoke this world into existence, a God that keeps this world and sustains it. Verse 48, though, Jesus gives a response to this royal official. And when you read through it for the first time, you might think, wow, that's a pretty harsh response. Verse 48 says, Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. You're like, wow. But if you begin to look at it a little bit more, Jesus responds this way, not because he doesn't care about this royal official, he does. Not because he doesn't care about the royal official's son, he does. But it's also because he cares about them, but he also cares about the people that are there in Galilee. And so when he says this phrase, unless you people, he is not just speaking straight to the royal official, he is speaking to the crowd that is around him right there. And so his response Was to the people that live in Galilee as well. And if you go back a couple of uh, verses. In John chapter 4. Verse 43 and 44. Jesus is coming into Galilee. Verse 43. It says after two days he left there for Galilee. Verse 44. Jesus himself had testified. That a prophet has no honor in his own country. You see as he goes back into Galilee. He's going back. He has a heart for these people. But. The people there in Galilee, because they grew up with Jesus, they wanted Jesus for a show, not for salvation. They were impressed maybe by his... They were not impressed, excuse me, by his per, the person he was or his words. But they just wanted some signs. One commentary said this about this verse. They said, uh, people in Galilee said, they saw Jesus as a miracle worker, not as Messiah. And what's really interesting about this passage is, again, if you look at it as a whole, Jesus had just come out of Samaria where a woman that was at a well who meets Jesus ends up believing in Jesus and experiencing salvation. She goes back and tells her town that, hey, could this be that this is the Messiah? Her town ends up believing in Jesus. And what's so interesting about that is this is that we don't read about Jesus doing one miracle or one sign there. They just believed in who he was. And so Jesus says this statement because the people there in Galilee, in fact, uh, struggled with believing in who Jesus was. The goal is to believe in Jesus, period, and not need signs. I think sometimes we can relate to the people in Galilee to where we struggle, right, with our relationship with Christ, or we struggle with even believing in Jesus. And then we think, if only God would do this, if God would show up and do this, then I would believe. Can I tell you something? We have everything that we need to believe in Jesus. We don't need some major sign. We don't need so. We have everything with the the written word of God and how He has clearly revealed Himself. We have everything we need to believe in Jesus. In John chapter 20, verse 21, listen to this. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So then, verse 49, the official has a reply. Again, he's taking radical action. He's traveled, wants Jesus to come down, and he says, Sir, the official said to him, Come down before my boy dies. When the official says, Sir, he's not being polite to Jesus. He's actually saying, hey, I understand that you are important. I understand that you've got some powers. And so, in fact, when he addresses himself as sir, the official is even putting himself underneath Jesus. He was willing to submit. Why? Because before anything else, this royal official was a father. One pastor says this, facing this kind of desperate situation, he was not an aristocrat or an official or even a Galilean. He was uh, first and foremost a father, sick with worry over his dying son. So that's why he says, sir, just come down. And then not only that, he says, before my boy. He doesn't say my son, he says my boy. This is now a term of endearment. To where as he is expressing his desire for Jesus, and as he's desperate, as he's taking radical action, he's pouring himself out and says, please. And I, I just think about this, Father, and I just think about, okay, what radical action sometimes do are we willing to take for people? I think sometimes we just get very, its um, uh, the word I'm looking for, apathetic toward people, and we're not willing to see their desperate need and take radical action. Because I think if we understood, man, a little bit more, we'd be willing to take radical action to where, I, I, as I watched this video of the IMB, my heart stirred. Radical action could be us going. Radical action could be us giving. Radical action could be us praying for the nations. Why? Because they have a need for Jesus. And so we see a father's radical action. But not only that, we see a father in verse 50, a father's love that meets a compassionate savior. Verse 50. Jesus said, excuse me, it says, go. Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed of what Jesus said to him and departed. In this moment, Jesus heals the son physically. By healing this man's son physically, the great physician was moved to heal the father spiritually, what John MacArthur says. The man believed in what Jesus said. But here's what's interesting. He believed in Jesus. He knew he had authority but he didn't fully trust in him as Messiah, as Savior. That doesn't happen yet. But what he does is he believes in Jesus' words. That was the object of his belief. And I just kind of begin to think, man, what is the real, what is the real object of our faith? What is the purpose? It should be Jesus and Jesus alone, not what Jesus can do for us, but Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the object of our faith he is the eternal savior not just some temporary genie verse 51 says while he was still going down his servants met him saying his boy is alive and he asked them at what time he got better yesterday at one in the afternoon the fever left him they answered you see this boy didn't say he was going to pull through no it was he was instantly healed he was alive the fever was gone And then in verse 53, look what happens. The father realized that this was the very hour which Jesus told him, your son will live. Listen, here it is, culmination of it. So he himself believed. Jesus believed. And who he was, not for what he could do for the man physically, but now who he was and what he could do for the man as son of God and as Messiah. This man believes. He went from acceptance in Jesus' message to actually trust in Jesus himself as Savior. And it doesn't just say himself, but along with his whole household. This is a theme that we actually see happening. We see happening in the New Testament that when the father figure believes, it doesn't mean automatically the whole household. No. But as the father figure believes in his influence on his family, normally the household follows. And I would say that principle is still true today. And so again, the goal of John's gospel, in John chapter 20 and verses 31, 30 and 31, we see the goal of his gospel. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, listen to what it says, you may have life in his name. Not just temporary goodness. Not just, you know, uh, something to lean on or a crutch to lean on in this life when we go through a hard times. No, it says you will have life in his name. That life that it's speaking about, the scripture is speaking about, is eternal life. It's total, complete spiritual healing. That's why John is so, so many times he writes the word believe. Over, close to a hundred times throughout the gospel, he uses this word believe. One of the most famous passages is John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. Look what God's word says. But as you look at this, look at how many times the word believe, believes, or believed comes up. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe in him is already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. Everything hinges on what we believe about Jesus. Yes, we see in this passage a father's love. But ultimately what we see in this passage is it points to us and it reminds us of our heavenly father's love for us that we can experience when we believe in him. The closing verse is verse 54 and it says, Now this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. A question that I just kind of kept chewing on this week as I was studying this passage is John saw Jesus do a lot of things there are seven miracles that he writes and he records. And we know that we just read. He writes and records that we believe in Jesus. And what was it about this one? Because again, this is an ultimate picture, I would say, of God's love for us as our Heavenly Father. Um, Again, we are that sick son. And only Jesus can cure us. He meets our greatest need. And sometimes we need that reminder. Um... I have a voicemail on my phone that I keep there, and I received it two years ago, and it stayed with me this long, and the reason why is because it's from my dad. Now, I know my dad loves me, but um, he happened to call me one day after he had an an interaction with a person he was sharing the gospel with, and um, he felt compelled to call me, and unfortunately, I did not pick up, but fortunately... It worked out because I now have the, a voicemail. And I want to play this voicemail for you because it is a reminder of a father's love. Hey, man, I just wanted to tell you that I love you. I just got through sharing with the guy. You was just telling me how bad his father has treated him all these times. And, I just, and he's never heard him say, I love you. So I just want you to know that I love you. I think you know that Alright, you guys have a good day. Would you tell Erin that I love her too? Alright, talk to you later. Bye. <clears throat> Again, I keep that. I cherish that. I know my dad loves me, but it's a great reminder. Every so often, I'll be going through my voice messages and I hear that. Um, and it's encouraging. This passage right here is exactly what that is it's a reminder the Father's love, that we see that Jesus meets our greatest need, and that we, we know that God loves us. 1 John 4, 9 through 10 say, says this, God, uh, God's love was revealed among us in this way, God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, listen, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So as we close today. I um, Just want this Christmas season. As, as Christmas comes. I want this to be a reminder for you. I want this to be a reminder. You know I, I don't know what kind of earthly. Like, what kind of relationship you have with your earthly father. I, I know that sometimes holidays are very very rough. And sometimes people want to avoid them. They just They just come. But no matter what your relationship is with your earthly father, I want you to know that you have a heavenly father that loves you and that cares for you. And we see that in this passage as a reminder of that. But also, you know, uh, at at our house we use, we decorate and Aaron likes to collect manger scenes. And so we have all different types of manger scenes and we have all different types of baby Jesuses uh, at our house. And so I decided to bring one with you, but this is just a reminder. When you look at a manger scene as we celebrate the birth of Christ, it's a reminder that God loves you. And so I want to encourage you today to respond to God's love, and that can look like a couple of different things. Number one, it might be salvation, where you need to believe in Jesus. Stop doubting. Stop looking for different reasons and know that Jesus is the Son of God. Know that you, we are that sick son because of sin. And because of that, we're separated from God. So again, put your faith, put your trust in Jesus. Believe in him. Another way we can respond to God's love is by, again, maybe we've been we've fallen away and we've gotten caught up in sin. Turn from that sin and turn back to God. Why? Because he loves you. Maybe, you know what? Um, because you've experienced God's love, you need to make that phone call. Maybe you need to leave that voice message on a son or a daughter's phone. Maybe you need to call a friend. Maybe you need to reach out to a coworker. But ultimately, I pray that we all respond to a father's love today. At the end of the service, uh, after Mark comes and they close us in worship, we'll be down here at the front. If you want to come pray, pray with us, we're here for you. But will you join me as we pray and conclude our service?